This is Tom Koslick, the head of public policy and municipal strategy at Hilltop Securities. Thanks everyone for joining us today for this episode of our Hilltop Talks, a politics and finance podcast series for 2023. This is the first and final episode for the year. Thanks everyone for the encouragement to get back at the podcast series this year. Uh, we have taken uh, a pretty big break since last year. The demands of uh, being on the road and business life after COVID took some adjustment. Uh, but we are going to do our best to bring you important insights in the podcast format in 2024. And as a reminder, these uh, Hilltop Talks discussions uh, are subject are with subject matter experts that we uh, are, think are important and that intersect the areas of politics and finance at the federal, state, and local level in the United States. We often concentrate on issues related to U.S. public finance and the municipal bond market. And today... We're going to revisit a topic that we have spoken about before and that we recently wrote about, uh, that topic being cybersecurity. Uh, back on December 5th, we published a report, U.S. Municipal Water Authorities Targeted with a Different Kind of Cyber Attack. I wanted to discuss the issue with a guest, an, inf an informative guest that could help shed some light on what has been happening and what may be happening going forward, more importantly. So... We're coming back to a returning guest, friend of the podcast, Omid Romani from Fitch Ratings. Welcome back, Omid, and thanks for coming back uh, to chat with us. Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's always fun to get with you guys and talk about interesting things. Interesting, important. I, I'd say also cutting edge. Uh, let me. T I want to talk a little bit about uh, your background before we jump in. Uh, Omid is an associate director in Fitch's U.S. Public Finance Tax Supporter Group in Austin, Texas. He works on a team that covers local government issuers in Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, and Arizona. In addition, he also serves in the company-wide risk cyber risk team, which is within the company's cross-sector ESG group. He serves as the cyber risk lead for Fitch's public finance group. And before joining uh, Fitch, Omid worked at another uh, rating agency and he is an active archaeologist. And I also yes. wanted to mention, uh, we've had uh, past podcasts with Omid in 2021 and 2022, uh, back where we uh, were, he was helping us to an initially identify cyber risks as a potential threat to public finance. That seems like a long time ago, even though it really wasn't. Uh, last time, uh, back in the beginning of 2022, uh, he helped explain to us that cybersecurity has risen to the top of the issues that public finance managements are concerning themselves with. And uh, I think that now we've gotten to an even uh, more important or more severe level of concern with uh, cyber. And I'm going to jump right into a dramatic overview to help set the stage for this discussion. The world has entered a period of high crisis, wrote Philip. Zelikow, a senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institute, in this month's issue of Foreign Affairs. Both Homeland, Homeland Security and the Director of National Intelligence have warned about the threat of cyber attacks towards U.S. infrastructure this year. The FBI director in testimony to Congress on Halloween warned the cyber targeting of American interests and critical infrastructure that we have already seen conducted by Iran and non-state actors alike, we can expect to get worse if the conflict expands, as will the threat of kinetic attacks. 
So, so far in uh, since November, a single digit number of U.S. water authorities have been attacked. Specifically, we know the Municipal Water Authority of Aliquippa, Pennsylvania was one of them that was targeted in November. And that's one of the things that we focused on in that report that we published in the first week of December. Uh, Omin, question for you. Sure. Are cyber assets being used as geopolitical weapons? Um, the short answer to that is um, yes. Um, to get a little bit more background into it, you've got to understand that the cyber risk that public entities in the United States face has always been to a certain degree tied to uh, geopolitical interests. That is extremely evident and clear now more than ever. We are, um, you know, every expert that I talk to is in agreement that we are at about as highest level of cyber risk when it comes to critical infrastructure and U.S. assets that we've ever been in. There is a number of very sensitive and very high stakes regional geopolitical conflicts going on right now, as people are aware, both East, in Eastern Europe as well as in the Middle East, and the risk of escalation in the uh, East China Sea. All of these have led to a very, very diverse, I would use the word diverse environment when it comes to cyber risks that municipal entities are facing right now. The adversaries of the United States have always seen state and local governments to be legitimate targets because they do not differentiate in assets when it comes to federal, state, and local government. If it is a functionary of government within the United States, they consider to those to be legitimate targets. And as we're going through this period of geopolitical uncertainty, realignment, and um, now kinetic, several kinetic conflicts around the world, that risk for cyber warfare, cyber sabotage, cyber espionage is increasing outside of just the ransomware risk, which uh, Tom, you and I talked about the last couple of times that we met with. And, th and that's an important distinction, right? Because even in the initial conversations that I've been having over the last couple of weeks about uh, the attacks on these U.S. water agencies, uh, some of the responses that I get from some of the folks I spoke to said, yeah, you know, we've known about uh, the increase of cyber attacks over the last couple of years. What's the big deal here? So I think that differentiating from, uh, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to make light of ransomware attacks. Uh, they can sure. uh, have a drastic impact, especially financially for sure. Uh, but I was wondering if you could differentiate between ransomware attacks and what happened with the U.S. these attacks on the U.S. water agencies, just so folks can understand why in this situation it was different. Sure. And the difference is, the main difference is in motivation. And that's where I raise an eyebrow and my concern level goes up. You know, garden variety ransomware is something that we've been dealing with more and more since COVID. COVID was really a transformative event when it comes to cybercrime. So that's where I set my bar at uh, when I track things pre-COVID and post-COVID. And ransomware is on the rise. It's, it continues, especially for the state and local government sector. Um, according to a recent report by Sophos, it continues to go up year after year. But the motivations are clear in ransomware for the most part. You have money, they want money, you give them money, and according to Sophos, 
whether it's through backups or through some kind of a deal that's made with the threat actors, 99% of the time, the entities get their data back and they're there, get their, they get their information and their technology back online. Um, the motivation in ransomware is very clear. With havoc-based attacks, like the one we saw in Alakipa, the motivation is very different. The motivation there uh, is to cause on a light note disruption, on a heavier note destruction. And those types of attacks can have a human impact. Not that ransomware can't, as we've seen with hospitals recently, ransomware situations have been crippling. They've uh, resulted in ambulances being rerouted, surgeries being changed uh, in relation to dates and venues. So those two can have a human uh, impact as well. But the motivation for these types of havoc-based attacks, like we saw with Alakipa, and now I believe there's, according to the White House, the number is up to nine other ones, so we're officially in the double digits when it comes to water systems. Um, those motivations are very different. Those motivations are to cause disruption and destruction. And the this recent spate of attacks that were conducted uh, of which Alakipa is one example. They were conducted by an advanced persistent threat actor, a nation state uh, originating in the Middle East, um, which is active in the conflict in the Middle East. Um, so the motivations there was really just disruption and not destruction. It wasn't, they didn't utilize their full capability to do what they can do once they breach, if that makes sense. So you so you'd, you you put these in the category of havoc based, but the what you're saying is that the Im, the human level impact was minimal because what they were going for was more uh, disruption and or something along the lines of uh, they're trying to send the messages of, hey, look what we can do. That's that is essentially the nature of this recent spate of attacks. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, that particular water authority had the training and the ability to switch to manual controls and to be able to continue business mm -hmm. in manual means. Um, and that is, although some may see that as somewhat antiquated, that is an excellent way to, to mitigate these situations. I can tell you that not all water systems nationally, if there's something like 50,000 drinking water systems nationally, have that capability. Actually, this is does it really on a case-by-case basis? Let's can we step can we step back uh, for a moment and can you review exactly what it is that we know about what happened in Aliquippa? Sure. So the the incident happened because of a special monitoring tool uh, manufactured by an Israeli company. This tool is a very popular and very low cost. Uh, basically monitoring tool that's used within the water sector as well as the transportation sector. They, uh, there's some in the electrical sector. Uh, various critical infrastructure sectors within public finance use these, uh, these computer monitoring devices. Uh, and it was the um, flaws, uh, the vulnerabilities within these devices that were exploited by this uh, advanced persistent threat actor, this nation state originating Adam of the Middle East to conduct these attacks. Now, these, atta these types of attacks had happened before, but they had happened 
within the context of the conflict in the Middle East and in the region between the two belligerent parties. The fact that they happened in the United States with the threat actor essentially identifying themselves, going after critical infrastructure on the US homeland, that's what makes this an interesting situation and sort of a different type of cyber attack to study. So has this type of havoc-based attack occurred uh, before either in the U.S. globally and had a human impact? Uh, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, havoc-based attacks traditionally in the United States have been very rare compared to things like, for example, ransomware or just traditional internal hacktivism or data breaches. Havoc-based attacks are the rarest in some ways, but in my opinion, they can be some of the costliest. And I just don't mean cost in terms of money. I mean cost in terms of disruption. Now, the, uh, the situation that happened in Pennsylvania is part of a much broader geopolitical realignment and conflict that we're seeing right now. Um, this is a use of cyber warfare as a component of uh, hybrid warfare or asymmetric warfare. You can see these sorts of escalations both in a kinetic nature in the region in places like the Bab el-Mendeb or the Gulf of Aden or uh, U.S. bases in the region, as well as cyber attacks that are going hand in hand, and it's not just the United States, a very, very similar attack exploiting these sort of monitoring tools actually happened in Ireland recently, about four or five days ago. And in that attack, again, a water, a small water provider was targeted, very similar uh, population profile to the uh, population that the uh, system in Pennsylvania uh, serves that particular water provider was actually down so households were not able to receive water for two days before other and ancillary means had to be established to provide services to them could the attack could could these types of havoc based attacks whether it's uh the type of attack that you that we saw and that you are seeing in Ireland or the attacks in the U.S. water agencies, could these be avoided? Are there steps that um, they can take to avoid to, to protect themselves? So we're, we're entering a uh, an era within um, cyber risk where I'm not really looking at avoidance anymore. When I'm looking at the sectors as a macro, I'm looking at uh, business continuity. It's, it's, it's not about whether you can't get hit anymore. I mean, the threat actors just by design are going to have to be ahead of the defenders because it's their job to find vulnerabilities. It's their job to find new uh, exploits that they can use to go after the, uh, the victims. Now, whether that's in ransomware, whether that's in hacktivism, or in this case, havoc-based attacks. For me, it's not necessarily about avoidance anymore. It's about continuation. How how are you able to get hit and continue to operate? And we're seeing two, uh, in real time, we're seeing two different examples that are publicly shared. So the attack in Ireland did have an impact on systems where that critical water provider was unable to fulfill its critical duty to the population that it serves. 
in the attack in Pennsylvania, that particular water system had the ability to manually monitor and run its system. As a result, thankfully, it did not have the same kind of human impact. Does that make sense, Tom? So mm -hmm. it's not necessarily about avoidance. It's about how, how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Because we're coming to an era just with the proliferation of cyber warfare, the availability of nation state designed cyber weapons to cyber criminals, uh, where it's it's a, it's gonna be about response planning and business continuity. For me, that is becoming more and more key as opposed to just risk transfer through insurance or somehow trying to avoid altogether. And the situation in Alakipa is another example. I often, when I talk about the subject, one of the um, responses I get from uh, munis is, oh, well, I'm, I'm really small. Like, who would want to come after me? The irony is some of the most interesting havoc-based attacks we've seen globally, including ones in the West and in the United States, have happened to fairly small providers who you would not think other nation states would have an interest in going after. They, they don't think that they're targets. And I think that one of the distinctions, you mentioned this in, uh, a few minutes ago, but I don't, I don't think that there are a lot of people, especially in the US, that understand that internationally, uh, folks don't necessarily differentiate between the federal, state, and local government level uh like we do in the u.s right so i th is that very well could be one of the key reasons of why it is that uh folks at uh, smaller uh, local government entities or smaller utilities might not think that they're a target but in fact they are that's correct that is correct uh, our adversaries do not see a differentiation between state and local and federal government when here in the United States, we see a very clear differentiation, and that is glaringly evident when it comes to resource allocation to on so what the are the defense side. So are there steps that some small, medium, or large uh, entities are taking, uh, especially in the face of uh, the landscape and how, and, and how things have evolved since the beginning of 2022 with uh, the conflict in Ukraine, with uh, the increased tensions in the Middle East. Uh, is there more attention being paid to this? Uh, I think more attention is being paid to it. Uh, I just don't know if it is, it is equal to how quickly the rate of the asymmetric warfare and the cyber warfare have been growing. And the ultimate uh, question, Tom, it always comes down to resources. It always comes down to resources and it always comes down to sovereignty. That's a local sovereignty is a very unique concept that we have here in the United States. Like I mentioned earlier, we have 50,000 water systems with essentially 50,000 different perspectives of how to do cybersecurity and how to do response planning and how to do business continuation. That creates um, a level of unequal risk, if that makes sense. You know, I was asked by uh, a, at a, at a, another speaking engagement I had, I was asked by a person who actually works uh, on this topic uh, within the federal government about, like, what is the perspective as far as a 
you know, national security blanket when it comes to cyber risk for state and local governments. And my response to him was that, well, I don't really see a blanket. I see a quilt. And some patches are made of tissue paper. Some patches are made of steel. Some places have no patches. Some patches are just made of normal cloth. It is a complete amalgamation of perspectives and philosophies. And it always comes down to resources, not just in money for systems, but also in talent. Uh, I've talked about this before. The uh, market for cybersecurity professionals is extremely competitive. And in that market, the state and local government sector usually gets left behind because it just cannot compete with the private sector when it comes to that talent. The demand for those professionals is growing so by something like 50% every year to the available pool of candidates. So, so all that you, goes into it. And you, one of the things that you just mentioned, you mentioned the differences in perspectives. Uh, that I, I, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, the differences in perspectives between uh, the, 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 the threat actors and then uh, the, the perspectives and the things that folks at the U.S. federal government level are able to do. Um, sure. And then folks just in, who are focusing on uh, public finance and the, and the municipal industry, like the perspectives that they have. I'd have to imagine that those perspectives are much, much different. And it's probably not even, I mean, resources, I'm sure is, that's definitely important. But uh, I think that there's probably, as, as you were talking, what, what it is that I'm thinking about is do folks at the federal government level and folks in the municipal industry, do they uh, see and acknowledge the threat? And I mean, because I would have to imagine that that's going to help inform their perspective on the federal well. level, definitely. Um, there have been a lot of conversations, especially after the situation in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of discussion. Uh, the federal government has been trying to do all it can to provide at least guidance through the Department of Homeland Security and the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. They're, they're trying to put the information out there. Um, the, and I think the industry sees that the industry then turns around and asks, well, what about the resources? And that is a that it, that, that takes a more time because ultimately that has to come through appropriations and we, those have to go through a process within Congress and go through. That takes more time. And I think that's one of the challenges of uh, cyber risk that I've seen really since COVID is the pace of the advancement of the threat landscape is far, far faster than the pace of legislation and regulation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it it's, it's evolving much faster than can be responded to in a traditional legislative sense. And this is a new phenomenon, if you think about it, within US policymaking. Although the U.S. legislative process is slow, the proliferation of technology within our critical sectors has allowed this risk to come in, and the threat landscape evolves far, far faster than we can respond to it from a policy perspective. Which, and what that means is it comes down to the people that are on the ground, those munis, those utilities that are working it every day. 
and which is why which is why I said I'm looking less and less about whether you can avoid this altogether to how you can weather it. I think that is the critical difference. And I think that is also, that would prove to be the critical credit difference if that was a topic. Uh, if you have an, an entity that can, you know, suffer a nation state um, intrusion, and that granted, again, this one was more of a disruption than a destruction type of attack, uh, and still continue business, I would see that as, you know, a definitely a positive view of management there. So it comes down to management and it comes down to how this risk is being managed on the ground by the people in the industry day in and day out. And like I said, even within that mindset, there is thousands of different perspectives of what it is to be safe. Because there are so many entities. Yeah, because there's so many entities and because they have control, they have local sovereignty over their decision making on the topic. Omid, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I want to close by asking you uh, one more question. We've uh, we've been talking for years now. Uh, Hilltop hosted a uh, cyber related conference back in the beginning of 2020 before COVID. In 2020 and 2021, uh, and in the podcast that we recorded back in 2021, uh, you were very clear in identifying the concern that you had about uh, the threat that uh, cyber attacks could pose. Uh, the beginning of last year, after uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, you predicted and or forecast and said that you uh, were expecting that cyber could be used as a, a geopolitical weapon. Uh, this is starting to come true. The final thing that I wanted to ask and what I want to close with today is now that we're, we're closing out 2023, what is it that you're expecting to happen and or evolve when we start the new year in 2024? Sure. I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell the future. It would be very useful for me. Well, you seem life, to be but, doing pretty uh, good so far. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. But um, I, don't, um, I don't expect this situation to improve. What we've seen, uh, conflict throughout human history, not just when it comes to cyber, but conflict has always led to massive innovation. And we've seen this happen with, uh, with cyber weapons and cyber warfare as well, just in the last two years, the deployment of uh, cyber weapons such as Viper tools in the conflict in Eastern Europe that have gone after critical electric infrastructure there. Um, usually when these tools and these weapons are developed by nation states, then it's only a matter of time before they're propagated within the wider cyber criminal community and are used uh, within the wider cyber criminal community. Uh, the, the geopolitical situation globally does not seem to be improving, at least at the current time. And as a result, I would expect that these types of havoc-based attacks are going to continue and become more prevalent. I mean, if you think about it, if just in the water sector, just based on what the federal government has now disclosed, there's been 10 simultaneously. And that is more than the last several years combined. And that's just in one act, one fell swoop. So I don't think that situation is going to improve. I think the risk landscape is going to continue to evolve to a, uh, a more... 
serious nature, especially now that we have open involvement of nation states. And I think that is what makes the situation that happened in Pennsylvania very interesting to study is that usually when nation states go after critical infrastructure in cyberspace, like we saw with, uh, with the uh, Volt Typhoon campaign earlier in the year, they do so very quietly, very calculated. And it's more cyber espionage. This was a direct havoc-based destruction attack with the nation state clearly identifying itself, clearly identifying its motivations um, against a critical infrastructure sector on the U.S. homeland. That itself is a new type of phenomenon. That's, for me, there's always, the, the last few years, there's with watershed events that sort of up the uh, the landscape, the threat landscape. This is one of those, this has upped the threat landscape. Um, and in addition to that, it is possible that we could see if, this, if the geopolitical situation continues to deteriorate, we could see more serious types of attacks where they're no longer about disruption and now they're focused on destruction because these nation states do have the tools to do that and they have deployed them in the past two years. They just haven't deployed them here yet. So overall, that risk continues to be a serious risk. And again, I look at the people on the ground, the folks that are working with the, with the municipalities and within the critical infrastructure sector, um, you know, my concern when I speak to them is how prepared are you to continue to do business as usual? Are you able to do a day without SCADA if you're a water treatment plant or a electric utility? Is that something you guys have talked about? Do you guys train for that um, eventuality? Because that is the world of tomorrow where cyber, weapon is, cyber weapons are going to be proliferated and cyber warfare is now becoming a very legitimate form of low intensity asymmetric warfare so the risk is uh elevated over the last couple of years and you're expecting the risk to continue to elevate into next year um i'm certain we're going to have you back to, to to talk more about this uh thanks for joining us to talk today thank you tom and thanks very much for those who tuned in and downloaded our recording today and uh, again, I want to thank uh, everyone for listening. I want to uh, thank one more time Omid for joining me. I really enjoyed our discussion. For those interested, uh, you can always see the recent Hilltop Securities economic and municipal commentary and listen to our podcasts by going to uh, hilltopsecurities.com uh, backslash commentary uh, and uh, wherever you can, uh, and you can also see them wherever it is that you get uh, your podcasts. Uh, thanks again, everyone. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future related to topics that intersect the world of politics, finance, and public finance. This has been Tom Kozak from Hilltop Securities.